I always said that that I knew I was watching a Hall of Fame pitcher. That was like his rest was like sprinting on the treadmill. I was fortunate enough to have witnessed it for, for a whole year, his greatness. These guys are, are one of one in our time. Welcome to a special episode of Digging In with JP and Sevia. I'm your host as always, Nick Ashbourne. And this special episode is dedicated to Roy Halladay's induction into the Hall of Fame. I want to turn it over to JP quickly because I think what's makes this episode really interesting is we is the guest slate we've put together and JP is not only the face of the podcast he is also our expert booker so JP tell us about the guests that uh, you've got us for today I appreciate the kind words as the as the face but I think that you're you're just as much the face uh Mr. Nick Ashburn did I say that right <laughs> I think I don't think you've ever said that right but <laughs> someday Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, well, one, we have uh, Shannon Stewart, um, obviously one of the better players, one of uh, one of the better Jays, and got to play with him and, and against him. We have uh, the special Frank Catalanado, the uh, Mr. Long Island himself uh, coming on, also played with him and, and had a lot of at-bats. And, and then my good friend uh, and my brother from another mother, Ricky Romero, who has some great stories about Doc um, and who was able to play with him as a teammate uh, towards the end of his career, and they became uh, pretty close uh, after something happened that Ricky will will talk about. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the lineup, and it'll uh, be a good one. One thing that I think is really cool about this lineup is it really covers most of Halliday's career with the Blue Jays. Stewart played with Halliday from when he started in '98 through to 2003. Catalanado came 2003 to 2006, and then Romero was in Halliday's last season, 2009. If there's any huge fans of the 2007 or 8 Toronto Blue Jays, uh, we are sorry that we're not able to cover you off. But I think in the, today's episode, we're going to be able to kind of tell the story of Halliday's Blue Jays career, which obviously is an amazing story to tell. Yeah, it's like a time machine. There's a couple years that we're going to skip in the time machine, um, but I think that uh, people will be okay uh, and then you can get the end of the story, which is me uh, facing Holiday when he was with the old uh, Fighting Phils, and uh, and we'll talk about how I was able to fare against him because uh, uh, we'll know well, who knows how it went. Yeah, no no spoilers on that just yet. You're gonna have to stick around the whole podcast. Uh, you know, no going to baseball reference and searching for yourself. So before we jump into the guests, there's a couple things I wanted to touch on. The first is the the sort of news that came out. Last night, which is that Halliday's going to go into the Hall of Fame without a specific cap, not the Blue Jays, not the Phillies. And I think it's it's interesting. It's definitely not what a lot of people expected. I think a lot of people in Toronto expected him to be the second Hall of Famer after uh, Roberto Alomar for this club. But what I've seen is a little bit on the internet, especially a particular column from a guy with uh, Philly.com, was kind of vitriol against the family being like, oh, he really would have wanted this, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, if you're someone out there who has a take on this, who thinks that they know better about what Roy wanted than his family does and wants to criticize a family that's lost someone way too soon, it just it seems ridiculous to me that there's anything floating around about this. I think it's something that maybe it's a surprise to people, but there are people who have been harmed a lot more than you. You are not the victim here. So having a debate about this seems pretty silly to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought that he would have gone in as a as a Blue Jay, uh, especially because of his struggles going down uh, from the big leagues to high A uh, and Mel Queen, who was a 
part of the Blue Jays organization. And you kind of kind of resurrecting his career and adjusting, uh, which then he became the sinker uh, cutter guy and was a Roy Holiday who is a Hall of Famer. So that's what I thought. But again, like you said, it, it's a tough decision because he had a phenomenal career as well with the Phillies. So you kind of go back and forth. It could have, you could toss a coin. And I think it's pretty special to be able to say like you can toss a coin. I'm sure most Hall of Famers you can. I think Robbie, you could have had some kind of decisions on where he wanted to go. Um, but yeah, it, it's, listen, it's at the end of the day, no one knows more than, than the people closest to him. And because Roy was also very uh, quiet and to himself. And so I'm sure they know more, obviously, than anybody else. So if that's what the plan is, that's what it is. I I, I just think it's going to be different to see just the, the, the bronze face with no actual team on the hat. Yeah, it, it's, it's not unprecedented. It's definitely a little bit unusual. But I think it speaks so much to Halliday, and you said this basically, that he meant enough to two different franchises that it would be legitimate for him to go into Hall of Fame with either cap Again, you know, I grew up in Toronto. I'm going to touch on this a little bit later, what it was like being a fan of Roy Halladay during this time. And obviously that would be cool from a Toronto fan perspective. But the idea of getting angry or upset about this in any way, it's just a non-starter. You know, you have to respect the family's wishes. And the important thing is that he made it to the Hall of Fame. His first ballot, that's amazing. And uh, I just think that this issue should not be a controversial one. So before, again, before we get into the guests, I want to ask you, JP, a little bit about your experiences with Halliday. I know you started your MLB career in 2010, one year after Halliday left. You sort of just missed him, but obviously came up in the organization while he was there, and his presence in that organization stretches beyond his playing career in terms of the stories about Halliday and the example he set. So what is Roy Halliday's effect on you coming up with the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, one, I remember, you know, getting to spring training because my first spring training, I was I was invited to Major League uh, Camp. And so I remember, you know, just showing up. And by the time I showed up, this dude was dripping wet. And uh, he was obviously had just gotten done with a workout. And I mean, this guy was obviously one of the hardest workers. So it was it was something that I was like, man, this guy is the, one of the best pitchers in the game. And this is how he's working. This is the way he's going about it. So that 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 kind of sent uh, a real big message to me. Um, I continued to come in early, and and then I would get to the point where I would try to get in early enough because he was like ultimate competitor as far as like if you he wanted to be the first one to the park, and so if he was going to be there at at five forty five, anybody came earlier than him, that was going to be an issue. So. No one kind of messed with that. He was always the first one to the field, and he would he would get there with uh, the strength coach Donovan Santos, who was his guy. And I watched a couple of his workouts, and I used to just, in a sense of his workouts, amazed me. This guy would literally work out, lift. He would lift a body part, you know, whatever lat pulls or whatever it would may be, and then where people rest, this dude would sprint on the treadmill. And that was like his rest was like sprinting on the treadmill. And you watch this and you just kind of were in amazement of, holy smokes, dude, this guy's an absolute like animal and a savage outside of the field as well, which is, or outside of the, the yeah, the, the baseball field. So that was pretty special to watch. And then obviously, you know, then you see the way he goes about his business, the way he works, uh, the way he, he throws his bullpens. I got to catch one of his bullpens. Um, and so one of his bullpens, I got 
it was it was pretty cool to be able to catch him was one thing, right? I mean, this guy everywhere I set up, the ball hit me in my mitt. Everywhere I set up, bam! I didn't really have to move at all. But what that wasn't the impressive part. The impressive part is when I got done, I walked to the mound because I wanted to see his cleat marks. I wanted this. I had always heard about his cleat marks and and like okay, he he almost looks like no one has been on this mound. So I looked at the mound. And after, let's say, 30 pitches, 30 to 35 pitches, usually, if you ever see a, a, a mound after a pitcher's done, you'll see different cleat marks in their landing spot. He was so good at repeating his delivery that literally there was two cleat marks. There was not... So what I mean by that is he had the one that he pushed off of and the one he landed on, and there wasn't like his cleat landed in the same exact spot every single time that the that it almost looked like there the person had only thrown one pitch and that is like incredibly tough and it is incredibly special when you're coming up as a catcher i think it's pretty natural to watch the pitchers that you think you might be catching in the future when Halley was traded, do you have a sense of disappointment cuz you wanted to catch this guy in a big league game was that something that was ever on your mind as you came up yeah, I you know honestly I I can't say one way or another. I I always wanted to catch him. Obviously, I think you wanted to catch the best pitcher always. But I kind of knew that he was going to be out of there. So I don't know if I got my hopes up about it. I I, I mean I, I always wanted to catch him. For me at the time, it was more thinking about trying to catch him in a spring training game. But that was never going to happen. I mean Doc was a guy who was very much uh, into his routine. And his guys were Rod Barajas was going to catch him or or Greg Zahn. I mean, those were his dudes. And at that point, I was so low on the totem pole as far as just kind of mopping up at the end of the game. That's, you know, you're you're young, so you come in the eighth and the ninth. By the eighth and ninth, Doc had already pitched and worked out and gone home, right? So um, that was something for me that I, I, I always, you know, it would have been special to be able to do it, but it was something that I realized that it probably didn't have a good chance of doing was being able to catch him in the game. So really my game was catching him in the bullpen that one time, and it was really only one time I got to catch him. Uh, so that was like the, the most special time for me to be able to catch him was, was that one day. What do you think would have happened if you had shown up at the field at 5.15 and you'd already been there working? What have you been – Mad? Would he have been impressed? Would it have been a troll that he would have respected? No, no, no. He would have been fired up. This dude was like a, <laughs> a unbelievably like intense competitor. And I think I remember like hearing stories that guys used to try to mess around to to beat him and like have have make it like, oh, okay, I got here before you, and that didn't happen much more after that. So I think it was I think it was something that it was kind of like his thing. And when you're that kind of stature of a player and you have that kind of routine, I don't think people mess with you because you kind of maybe that he didn't have to say anything, right? He it might have it could have just been a look or it could have been just the the aura of that ain't gonna fly. And I mean, as I remember every day coming to the field and his his I think he had a, a BMW. His BMW was parked at the same spot, and you know that it's been there since five forty five in the morning, like. And every single day he parked in the same exact spot. So you weren't going to get there. You weren't going to take a spot. You weren't going to be in the in, in the weight room before him. I mean, and I think that's why he was special too is because he wanted to make sure that nobody came close to, you know, how he prepared. Yeah, there's no doubt that 
no one out there, whether on the Blue Jays or a pitcher on another team, was going to outwork Roy Halladay. That just showed in on the field and in the innings he was able to log and just all the stories you hear about how he worked. So our first guest to talk about that today is Shannon Stewart. Um, Shannon Stewart played left field for the Blue Jays for a long time. He saw Halliday when he first came up. He saw Halliday's struggles, and he saw Halliday rebuild himself. So I think Shannon really has a good insight on perhaps the most interesting section of Roy Halliday's career. All right, so as, as we spoke about at the beginning of the show, uh, we have our guest, Mr. Shannon Stewart, who obviously got to play with and against Doc. So what are, you, what are your thoughts about uh, the Hall of Fame uh, induction? Uh, you know, well, well deserved. Um, just so happy. It's kind of it's bittersweet. You know, I'm I'm, I'm happy that he got in first ballot. Um, just just can't say enough about Doc. Great guy. Um, work ethic was just second to none. Just just a joy to be around as a teammate, as you as you well know, JP. And um, you know, just sad in a way. You know that. He's not able to, you know, share this great achievement here with his family, you know, due to his tragic, in, uh, you know, death. Well, and, and you and you were here. This is I, I was around him at the t- my his tail end of the time of Toronto. You were around him when he was younger. Um, obviously, for me, it was the, this dude was like uh, it was ridiculous in the weight room. I mean, I never saw him without his shirt dripping wet. As a young player. Was he still the same way? Like, how, as far as the weight room and the way he went about his business, how how was he when he was younger, a younger Blue Jay? Well, I saw, I, I was there when we first drafted Doc. So I saw him, um, you know, come up to the minor leagues, being, you know, sometimes when, when you're in the big leagues, you know, they call these young guys up for spring training and, you know, you're able to get a look at them and, you know, watch them. And, you know, I, I know he, I knew he had good stuff, tall, tall guy. Um, you know, but I never, never really got a chance to face him to, to, to tell what he had. But, you know, I could just tell, you know, he was going to be a good one. But I remember his, uh, I believe it was 98, his first, I think one of, I think maybe it was his second big league start in the, in the, in the side. I think it was the last, last game of the season two playing Detroit. And, this guy was, was, was unbelievable out there. As a matter of fact, he was throwing no hitter. He threw no hitter eight and, eight and two thirds of the inning. And I believe it was Bobby Higginson uh, just ran into one, you know, hit a home run actually over my head, left, left field, opposite way, to break up a no hitter. And that was his first, I think that was his first big league win. So he almost threw a no hitter <laughs> his first big league win, which was. Which is amazing. Now thinking back on it, but I know um, he you know he struggled a little bit when he when he first when he first got up there with us, and um he went he went down and worked with a guy by the name of Mel Queen. I mean he had good stuff. Just you know, probably, maybe it was more so location and you know couldn't really pinpoint where he wanted to throw the ball. But when once he figured figured it out with this guy, man, he came back and he was just lights out. But um, you know, like every every rookie, you gotta figure it out. You know, go through through the ups and downs. But you can tell at a very young age that he had the stuff. Now the work ethic came. You know, I guess when he went when he got sent down and he figured, hey, you know what, I gotta figure it, figure this out. I gotta work hard and you know, get my body right and and you know, study hitters. 
and learn, talk to veteran pitchers. And he did that, man. He did that. Shannon, you spoke on this a little bit, and I think for me it might be the most interesting part of the Holiday story is that 2000 season where he kind of he totally fell apart and he had the worst ERA in baseball, one like in the tens, and he had to go down to the minor leagues. Was that a surprise to you guys who were teammates with him to see that happen to him because he had been so good when he was young and, like you said, his stuff was there. He was a first-round pick. He was a big prospect. And then suddenly here he is kind of totally blowing up almost like we've never seen in that 2000 season. Yeah, you know, I've seen it happen. It happens a lot, you know. Guys guys have success early, and you know, in, in their career first year. You know, what happens is, you know, the league, the league catches up with you. They kind of figure out, you know, your tendencies and, you know, what what, you, what your outpitches are, you know, how you, how you pitch your guys. And it's usually, you know, your second time around, you know, it's really your second year in the league to where it's your hardest year because, you know, you've had some success, but now you've got success and, Teams have like a, a outlook of how to how to pitch you or or how to hit hit you, you know. So it happens, you know. You, it's all about making adjustments, you know. Being in big leagues, and when you're a young guy, sometimes it's hard to make those adjustments and try to figure things out. And you know, sometimes you know the happens is guys have to go on to Mondays and work on their craft. And when they get back up there, you know, now now they're ready. You know, but it happens, though. It happens to, to a lot of us. It's no secret that Doc was a quieter guy, more of a lead-by-example guy than this big vocal leader. But as you saw the beginning of his career from those struggles to a Cy Young uh, winning season 2003, when do you think people started really looking up to Doc and seeing him as being that guy for this Blue Jays team? Well, I think um, the year he won the Cy Young, you know, I think he he was just. I think he had it. I think he put it all together. Meaning, but he had he had the stuff, and then then he had the work ethic. You know, like Doc Doc would, you know, run would run the stairs in the stadium. You know, he was he was eating right. You know, he was he was studying. It was almost like um, I got to compare him to like Roger Clemens. I played with Clemens. You know, obviously was with the Blue Jays, and you know I've never seen a pitcher like work like that. I mean, Roger was, you know, he was he was running, after, he was running after the games. He was he was eating right. He was working out, you know, and he studied hitters. You know, I'd be on the bench when he wasn't pitching. He would talk to me, you know, and you know, kind of explain like how he would pitch certain guys or kind of what to look for. You know, a student of the game. So I think what happened was Roy kind of just made that transformation into into doing it all. You know, not just not just having a good game. After he threw a good game, he would study, you know, what he was doing, how how he pitched that game, studying hitters and, you know, really taking care of his body. So he put it he just put it all together and that year he won the Cy Young and you know what happened? He just continued through his career to you know, to keep doing the same thing. Are there I- are there any stories that that stick out to you, uh, like any big like stories for you about Roy Holiday? And it doesn't have to be baseball or any any something that if when they say Roy Holiday that it this some situation or whatever happened comes to your mind. 
you know, the funny thing is that Roy, Roy was just a quiet guy. He was so quiet that you know, when, I, when he played with me, he was young. He was younger, so I had him early in his career. So he was kind of when when rookies were, were coming up, you know, they they would sit sit in the back of the bus, uh, in front of the bus. They you know they they would they would double up, you know, wouldn't really talk. But Doc Doc never never was vocal. Never you know I remember being on the outfield during BP shagging balls, and he's out there, and you know he's just standing by himself. And I you know I'm like man, what, you know I go over there. I used to talk to the pitchers all the time. You know, just, just joke around with him and be able to talk to him. Hey, Doc, how you doing? You know, he's just like, fine, how's everything, you know? One word answers, I'm doing good still. You know, just, you know, just, just getting ready. Just, you know, just getting ready for the next day. I'm like, man, you know, like, Doc, do you talk? <laughs> Are you going to say something? But he just, man, he was just a quiet guy, you know? And a quiet guy that, that, that worked really hard and just, you know, Never wasn't loud. Didn't didn't really joke a lot. You know, I think I think he did. You know, later later in his year, joke a little bit, but you no, know, never to where you can remember remember Doc like doing anything or a story. You know, and that's why I tell everybody this guy was just he's such a good guy and and this a joy to be around. You know, one of the best teammates you can ever have, and you know you just you just so happy for success. You know, they're not arrogant. Not cocky, just you know, just going to do his job, and you know that's what I'm supposed to do. You know, and that's that's all I want to do is do my job. One thing that uh, commentators always used to say about Halliday, and I wanted your take as someone who played behind him, is because he worked so quickly and he was so efficient, he actually made his teammates better because they were always on their toes. And it's something they've said about Mark Burley and his career as well. Did you find that playing behind Halliday was easier because? He worked so quickly and efficiently. He was in the game. I know that in the outfield, you might not have gotten as much work with all the ground balls he got. But is that something that you noticed that uh, playing behind Halliday really made a difference? Yeah, you know, when guys work quick like that, keeps you keeps you into the game. And and you know, there's no there's no long drawn out innings. You know, you're sitting there, Doc gets the ball, and he gets on the mound, he's ready to go, ready to deliver his pitch. You know, he's not sitting there taking. A lot of times in between pitches, and that helps. I helps the defense out a lot. That helps, you know, the infielders, the outfielders. You know, I'm sure the catchers love it. You know, he puts something down and he throws and he's ready. And the umpires love it too. You know, games, right. quick games are the best games, the best games in the, in the MLB. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. And last one, Stu, and we'll let you go. I appreciate it. We looked at the numbers. It says that you're four for eight with the with the ding dong. You went, you took him deep. So what was it? What was the about the success? Because uh, that dude was not easy to hit. Nah, you know, um, I, the funny thing is, is that I remember the first time I faced Doc. Well, actually, it was spring training in Dunedin, and you know, I never faced Doc before. You know, everybody said, oh, "Man, you know, he's a cutter. He's high. He's just." It's the dog moves is nasty. So I actually I got up there and, and was bases loaded. I think there was there was one out. Hey, you know, I I'm always trying to get back to the Jays, you know, because you know, that's the team that traded me. You, you always have that extra you know, you just want to do well against the team that, that lets you go. So I'm out there spring training, I was like, man, I'm I'm just gonna, you know, he throws something in here, I'm gonna get him, I'm gonna get him. 
Man, Doc, I don't know what he threw me. He threw me some type of sinker. I swung. I thought I thought I was on it. Broke my back. I, I grounded third base. Double play out the inning. And I'm sitting there like, man, you know. I'm like, man, I can't beat it. And then I got back in. I don't know if it was Torrey or Jogger. Man, he got to that cutter, didn't he? I say, I guess he did, man. I was all over it. So, yeah, that's what he'll do to you. You think you're all over it. And and he'll get up on you. You know, you'll beat it in the ground. So, during my career when I faced him in Toronto, in the first time I faced him, I didn't have him as 0 for 3. And I just I just tried to study him, you know, try to just try to study him. You know, I know one thing about doctors that he'll give you a pitch to hit, but if you don't hit it, it's over. You know, and he challenges you. He's not a guy that, you know, is going to make and pick. He'll give you a strike. He'll throw you a strike here and there. But, you know, it challenges you. I like I like pitches that will challenge you. And, you know, look, this is my best pitch. Hit it. If you hit it, not. And I guess I guess would have, I guess, you know, just just by being, just by being around him and just figuring out. You know what type of guy he was that you know this guy he's gonna challenge me either he's gonna win or I'm gonna win and he got me sometimes I I got him I guess I got him one lucky time I, you know he threw it and I just happened to hit it the home run I don't know how I hit it out it's it luck I closed my eyes and hit it but <laughs> that guy was just it was a special guy man and just you know I'm just like I'm just glad to get one hit off him yeah I got hit off a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you got more than one hit off of Hall of Famers because you rake. But so thanks again. I appreciate you for uh, coming on, man. Good talking to you, Stu. No problem. No problem, JP. Anytime. As I said before, I think that Shan provides good insight because he's part of seeing how it is this kid and then kind of a phenom and then a guy who's struggling and suddenly he's a Cy Young as well. Obviously, he's being a little bit modest there at the end in terms of you know going four for eight against him. Small sample, but that's pretty damn good. And I think that was a good point by him, too, that Doc was a guy who would challenge hitters. Like, there were games you'd see Doc get hit a little bit because he was out there throwing strikes. Like, he was not walking anybody, and he would look for strike one, and sometimes that meant putting it over the plate, but his stuff was good enough that more often than not, no one really hit him. But, you know, I guess you can can close your eyes and run into one, apparently, and it looks like Shannon did. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, like I said earlier in the podcast, Mel Queen was a big part of, of that success, and obviously Shannon spoke about that. And, you know, that that's the part of the league. It's tough, and all of a sudden, you you find yourself back in the minor leagues, and then you make an adjustment, and then now we're talking about a Hall of Famer. So, uh, again, he was pretty special, and uh, we'll continue to hear more about him. Yep. Now, next up is Frank Catalanado. As we said, we're taking you across the timeline. So we've got 2003 to 2006 now. A guy who played with Catalanado. Sorry, guy who played with Halliday uh, for those years and faced him quite a bit. We're going to talk to him about facing Doc because Halliday was a pitcher. I believe he faced the fourth most in his career. We're talking 40 plate appearances. So this guy was intimately familiar with hitting Halliday unsurprisingly uh he did not have the most success with it but i look forward to hearing his insight on that so as as promised another guest uh, frank catalanado uh the long island uh man himself uh he was able to play with doc and obviously got to face him quite a bit as well so uh with the announcement of hall of fame uh what were the things that that came into your mind 
Well, I was, I was so happy for him. I knew that when I was playing behind him, I always said that, that I knew I was watching a Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, you know, to watch him go out there and how focused he was every single time that he pitched uh, was amazing. I, I didn't see it from any other pitcher or player that went out there. And uh, he was a type of player that when you knew that he was pitching, when you came to the clubhouse, uh, you kept your mouth shut. You didn't, you didn't mess around when he was, when he was near you, you really didn't talk to him much uh, because he was so focused and uh, I'm happy, uh, you know, for his family. And, and uh, you know, obviously I, I wish doc was around uh, for this moment, but uh, you know, I, I definitely knew that, that he was a hall of famer and, and I'm happy that, uh, that this, uh, this came to fruition. And, and, you know, we talked to Shannon Stewart earlier and he talked about, cause he was there when he got sent down, uh, and then had to come back up and then kind of where his work ethic really took off. You were around him, obviously, when his work ethic was already, uh, I'm sure, at an insane rate. Can you talk about just watching him, uh, even at the spring training and between starts, being able to see how he how he prepared to be the Roy Holiday on the mound? Yeah, you never saw him just sitting around. I mean, JP, we, you, you've been in clubhouses before. Sometimes you're just hanging out by your locker or you're playing cards or you're you're – doing, you know, even, even in the, in the food room, eating some food, he was never just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, you know, whenever you saw him, he was trying to get better, whether he, whether he was in the weight room or, um, you know, he was with the pitching coach doing extra drills, or if he was in the video room, he was like nonstop. It was like, he was a machine. And, um, you know, it, it, all of us, the, everyone that played with him w- would watch him and, and we would be amazed and I think it just, you know, helped the other guys around him because you felt like when you were around Doc and you weren't doing something to get better, you felt like, oh, almost like that's, you know, he's your dad or your teacher watching you. You wanted to, to impress him. And he tried, you know, just his presence made everyone else around him better. Frank, more so than anyone else we're talking to today, you actually have a lot of experience from the other side facing uh, Doc, and I'm going to read out this number line to you. Uh, I apologize that it's not super flattering, you know, well below what you're <laughs> normally doing. But, you know, you had 40 trips to the plate against him and you hit 212, 308 on base, 364 slugging. So that's well below the Frank Calinato standard. What was going on in those at bat? Like, what was it like to stand in the box? You said that when you played with him, you knew he was a Hall of Famer. Did you get that sense when you were in the box against him? Like this is almost a historical figure that I have to fight against right now. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it was, you know, I didn't enjoy facing him. It was a tough at bat and it was, you know, every single pitch he was focused. So, so you had to be focused. I mean, he didn't, he didn't give away any pitches. Um, he threw an absolute bowling ball sinker, uh, one that was very tough to square up. And it felt like, you know, every time you swung the bat and hit the ball, it, uh, like I said, it, it felt like you were hitting a bowling ball. It, it hurt your hands. Uh, but the thing is, he had three or four pitches that were Hall of Fame pitches. I mean, whether, you know, he would wind up, he'd, he'd sink the ball, he'd cut the ball, he had a great uh, breaking ball. And, and it was, you knew that you were facing the best when you went against him. And, and it was, you know, everyone, you know, when you show up, showed up at the ballpark and you knew you were facing Roy Halladay, uh, you know, guys, 
knew that it was going to be a, a long night and, and tough at bats, and you really had to focus. Uh, you know, the fact that he was so focused helped me focus. Um, however, when you're going against someone that that's just better than you and has just amazing stuff, sometimes it, it, it's tough to uh, to be successful. And and he definitely got the better of me. Like he's got he he got the better of, of most guys he faced. We asked this to Shannon Stewart, and I recognize that maybe it's difficult. He found it difficult. When you think about Roy Halladay, is there a moment or a story or something that happened between the two of you on the field or off that stands out? Because I know for Shannon, it was more of accumulation of watching him go about his business quietly because there's no dispute. That's the way he did it. But there's anything that stands out to you. Well, for me, it, and I've told this story a few times, and it's the thing that I think of uh, right away. is the, the first year that I got to play with, with Roy. Um, I remember I showed up at the ballpark, uh, when he was pitching and, you know, all through spring training, uh, you know, I'd say hi to him when, when we got there and we talked and whatever, and everything was fine. And then when the first day that he was pitching, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me that he was pitching. I walked by him in the hallway and I said, Hey, what's up doc? And he didn't say a word to me, walked right by me. And then later on, you know, before the game, Again, I think he was in the training room, and I, and I said something. He didn't say a word to me. So I went into the other guys in the clubhouse. I was like, what's, what's wrong with him? Why, why doesn't he, you know, why doesn't he say hi? Why isn't he, you know, being nice, whatever? And they go, you were talking to Doc? I go, yeah, what do you mean? He goes, they go, he's pitching today. Don't talk to him. And I was like, wait a minute, really? That's, that's the way this guy is? And, you know, at first I took it like, you know, what an idiot. You know, who does he think he is? And then I realized that he was so locked in that he didn't even know I was saying hi to him, you know, and he wasn't trying to be a jerk. And I, and I even had a conversation with him shortly after that. And I said, dude, why don't, why don't you say hi to me? And he goes, I didn't even realize he goes, when I, when I'm playing, I'm locked in. And he's like, I've got my, my, you know, think I'm thinking about a whole bunch of different other things. He's like, I apologize if I'm not personable when I'm pitching. And that was him. He was, and you had to respect that. After I realized that that was what he does, I made sure that I stayed out of his way when he was pitching. I didn't talk to him. And I respected the fact that he was so locked in. And, um, you know, and, and he wanted to get the job done that night. And that's just the way he was. Frank, as a catcher, you know, I, I there was moments that I was catching guys that I kind of was – laughing what I'd call pitches because I knew that guys had no chance. Um, being behind in the infield, you, you see, you can see the ball, you see the pitches that are called. I mean, talk about for, for you, were there, were there games, I'm sure there's many games, were there the games out there that you would just like, this cutter is unbelievable, this sinker is unbelievable, and almost just sitting out there kind of popcorn, you know, have the popcorn and watch the show kind of thing? Yeah, there was so you know we loved when Doc was pitching because we knew that it was going to be a quick game, uh, and we knew that uh, you know we weren't going to get much action, especially in in the outfield, and uh, you, especially when he went out there after that first inning, and like you said, if it, maybe it was his cutter or sink or whatever it was, if you knew it was on, you just you knew you were like this team has no chance, and uh, you know it was great to have a guy like that on your staff because. If you were in a two or three, four game losing streak, you knew that it was going to be stopped right away. Um, you know, whenever he pitched, uh, you had you were most likely going to win the game. So 
So not a lot of teams had a pitcher like that, but but having him, it kept those losing streaks uh, very short. Well, Frank, I appreciate it. Um, you were uh, obviously one of the guys that had to play with him and against him, and, and I'm sure that's something that uh, is, is very special. So thanks for coming on, and uh, we appreciate the stories. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. The one thing that I thought really stuck with me about what Kyle and I had to say there was the dynamic of people seeing Halliday as almost like a dad. It's like, it's I'm not mad, I'm disappointed in you type deal where you've got to work, you've got to... It's, it is exactly the lead by example ethos. It's like, I'm working so hard that if you don't, I'm you're going to feel guilty about it. It's not, I'm not telling you to work, but I know that you're going to feel guilty if you don't because of the work that I'm putting in. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of way he went about his business, man. And he ain't kidding about, listen, when it was Doc's day to pitch, it was like, you would think that you could hear a pin drop in that clubhouse. Like, I mean, everybody was like quiet. And like he's saying, you know, you, you almost feel like I'm walking on eggshells because it's like, hey, dude, this guy is locked in. And he, I mean, that's how polarizing he was. Where on the flip side, I remember I went up there to sign my contract and Jesse Litch, he was starting and it was like a, a party in the clubhouse, right? And so that's the kind of, uh, you know, I, just the, the way he, he, the aura he had about about him and people like he, like he said, like, man, what the heck is his problem? Who does he think he is? That could be your thought at the beginning, but then you realize like, oh crap, like this is... This is why this guy is so special. Like, you don't, it's not about him being, thinking that he's better. No, it's that he's so focused on the job and the ta- the task at hand that he's ready to rock. Yeah, and, you know, if maybe if he had the same career stats and I, you know, I don't want to call it a guy for no reason. First guy that comes to my mind is Josh Towers. If he was pitching like Josh Towers, people might have thought, oh, that's a bit weird that he does it. But he, he did it for a reason and the results bear it out. So next we're going to be joined by... Ricky Romero, it's good to hear from a fellow pitcher, a guy who came up just as Holiday's Blue Jays career was ending, and also um, had some interesting experiences with Holiday as his career was ending in Philadelphia. All right, well, we're here with uh, our third and final guest that we uh, promised you, uh, one of my best friends, Ricky Romero. Obviously, you got to play with Doc, and you got to spend some time with him, but you saw Tuesday uh, the announcement, uh, talk to me about, you know, what you were thinking, uh, when that happened. Automatically, you're just like, wow, you know, you, you wish that he was here to see it, you know, but, uh, what a tremendous accomplishment for him. And especially to go in as a first ballot hall of famer. Um, you know, I was excited. I was excited for him and, uh, and his family. And obviously, you know, it's not every day that somebody gets to say that they played with the hall of famer and, I was fortunate enough to have witnessed it for, for a whole year, his greatness. And um, and just really happy for him, you know? Rick, you know, uh, Shannon Stewart was on before you and Frank Catalanato, and they always talked about, like, dude, how he was super intense the day of his starts and how, no, I mean, Fr- Shannon Stewart couldn't even think about a story other than him being so quiet because of how quiet he was. And then your rookie year, you kind of go through it. And then there was a time that he came and he, he tapped you, and then it was like, okay, now you were now you were in. Can you explain uh, that situation, um, your rookie year, whenever you got to past whatever it was? I want you to be able to talk about it uh, and to where he was able to start kind of talking to you and bringing you in. 
Yeah, I think um, it took a while for him to kind of get used to me and to kind of accept me. You know, obviously he's like, yeah, like what everyone says, he's intense. He's, he, he, he's one on start days. He's just looking one direction. You don't even look at him. But I think after I got my 10th win in the big leagues, that's when it all changed for me. It just became, I remember walking in the bus and, and he tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, Hey man, 10 wins in the big leagues as a rookie is a big deal. You should be proud of yourself. I'm proud of you. And that's when I was like, Whoa, you know, like kind of hit me out of like nowhere. And I was like, cool, man. Like, you know, anytime I feel like you got a, you got a compliment from doc, it was something special. It, it was just different, you know? And, and for me to have gotten it then, I was like, this is pretty cool. And, from there on, we kind of, you know, our relationship grew more and more. I used to sit right behind him on the plane, and, um, and you know, I would ask him questions here and there, but always kind of stayed out of his, his way. But I, I found the right times, and he was always uh, pretty helpful. The guys we talked to before are position players, so their ability to learn from Doc was more about observing his work ethic and that leadership by example that always comes up with him. But as a pitcher, was there something more you could learn from him more in terms of your craft and asking him questions about stuff? Was there things you could take away from being teammates with him as a pitcher? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you weren't learning from just watching him pitch, I mean, then you weren't doing it right. You know, he just, um, the way he prepared, the way he watched video, you know, there was, it, it's tough for a pitcher um, to say, like, you know, for anybody to go and say, hey, do what, what Halliday does, because not very many players did what he did, which was, you know, JP, as you know, the, the front door cutter, back door cutter, front door sinker, back door sinker. Not a lot of guys can do that. You know, so he was special and unique in his own way. And, um, but when you had a chance to ask him questions um, about, you know, how do you hold, how do you hold that sinker? And what are you trying to do to different hitters here and there? And why do you watch so much video on, on the Boston Red Sox? I mean, you've, time and time after time after time for so many years and his answer was always like you know everyone's always making the adjustment to me so I got to make the adjustment to them you know year year in and year out and I think that's what I kind of got from him the most you know how to watch video and how to uh, uh, dissect certain hitters and, and what he was trying to do. You were the guy kind of tabbed after Halliday departed to be the next Blue Jays ace and I was wondering what that shadow felt like as you saw him for one year, he went off to Philly, and then you had this good rookie year in 2009, and people are saying, like, Ricky Romero is the next guy. Obviously, next Halliday is a hell of a label. But did you find that difficult to come out of Halliday's shadow when he left early in your career? No, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel uh, like I had to be the next Roy Halliday. I just felt like I needed to be myself and, and put together everything that I learned from him. You know, and I think um, I think that was the biggest thing. You know, you there there's only going to be one doc ever. You know, and and for me it was just to create my own um, my own image and, and 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 like I said, take everything I learned from him and and go out there and have fun with it. Well, Rick, uh, another thing is, and we've talked about this, and and everybody that we have on here, and everyone that kind of tells stories talks about. You know, the machine, Roy Holiday, the way he worked, the way he did this, he didn't talk, and he was very to himself. But I think the cool thing is, is you got to have a relationship with him, and you got to see him kind of, uh, you know, not be the Superman and kind of open up to you. And I think it was a, a year that 
that you guys were both going through some difficulties. And uh, I'd love for you to be able to share that story. Yeah, in 2012, we we were staying in the same hotel in New York. They were playing the Mets, we were playing the Yankees, and he called my room, told me to come down to his room so we can have a talk. Yeah, it was late at night, and we were just kind of sitting there, and he he just kind of, we were both struggling at the time, and, and we just had a deep conversation about everything that was going on, you know, his injuries, what he was going through. I think he had some injuries going through and I was going through some injuries and then, um, and then we just kind of, you know, embraced. I mean, I, I, I wish I, that's one of those conversations you wish you kind of had a, a recorder in, you know, so that you can, uh, remember everything that was said, but I just remember we embraced and we hugged and we just like, we're rooting for each other, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and that was it, you know, I mean, I wish I could elaborate on what went on and what was said in there, but <laughs> and, uh, I, I just remember bits and pieces of it. All right, Ricky, we appreciate you uh, joining us and sharing some of your experiences with Roy. Over the course of the episode, we've talked about people from the beginning, middle, and end of his career with the Blue Jays, and you've really helped us complete the picture. Oh, no, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So there you go. That is kind of the picture of Halliday's tenure in Toronto, you hear a lot of the same things because those are the things that were true. The stories you hear about his intensity, his work ethic, how quiet he was. It's not a cover-up for something else going on underneath. That's the way he was. And there's a reason why people tell very similar stories about Roy Halliday. Um, Before we go, I just wanted to touch a little bit on the fan experience of Roy Halliday because... You know, these guys played with him. I grew up in this city in Toronto, and I just remember watching Roy Halladay was such a treat. When Roy Halladay pitched, I don't know exactly what the attendance bump was, but there would be thousands and thousands more people in the stadium. That was an event. Like, you call your friends up. Oh, it's, you know, whatever. It's Wednesday night, but, okay, Halladay's pitching. Well, we'll go to that game. We're not going to go when, you know, you mentioned Jesse Litch before. Jesse Litch was a fine pitcher. But, like, eh, we'll skip the Jesse Litch start. We're going to go to see Roy Halladay. We're going to tune the TV on Roy Halladay. And I think that he was the rock of this Blue Jays team for a decade and kept a lot of fans engaged. And I don't know if I'm doing work related to baseball or my love of baseball would be the same without Roy Halladay. And I think the same could be said for a lot of people who grew up in the city and also who grew up in the country overall. Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, I think he was almost like a mythical person right like even when he passed away you you don't think that that was something that was possible like no way Roy Holiday is not alive right like it's just that was just the kind of figure he was and so um he was he was a special person and the way he went about his business was was special and that's why he was uh you know inducted to the Hall of Fame first ballot I think he was worth the price of admission times 10 I think he was a polarizing figure. I think we another person that we lost like that was Jose Fernandez, right? Every time that he pitched, the Marlins got a ton more uh, players and then all or fans, and then all of a sudden he passes away, and and then uh, it, I don't think they've ever been the same. So it, it, it's these guys are are one of one in our time, and you get to be around them. And I even think for myself, maybe I didn't take as much advantage about uh, of being around him because I was more scared to 
come in and even talk uh, because I was a young guy. So it was like I knew you hear all these things about Doc and all of a sudden you're in the clubhouse and you're in my shoes. I was I didn't I wasn't if Frank Catanato would say hi to him and he didn't talk to him. Imagine J.P. Aaron Sebia, who's a a low A rookie uh, baseball player that just got into the to spring training because it was in his contract. Like, I'm not saying anything to this guy. So it was it was something that I got to watch from afar, and and uh, you know I got to face him, and and I I got to talk to him, you know, a little bit uh, when he was with the Phillies, and it was it, honestly for me the biggest thing is it was fun to see Roy Holiday. Um, start kind of loosening up and, and enjoying uh it looked like he was he was a lot more uh easy going later in his career um and so he was enjoying it and and obviously he did everything he needed to do to be one of the best of all time and that's why we're celebrating him now normally we end this show on jp career trivia this episode is structured a little differently but i did want to do something in the same spirit before we take off, which is to go through uh, how JP fared against Roy Halladay. There's no quiz aspect. We discussed this before the show, so we're not going to quiz JP on how he did. He knows he didn't do great. There were four trips to the plate, um, two strikeouts, no hits. Before we're out of here, JP, what is your the uh, cliff notes on your experiences facing Roy Halladay? Well, if they give points for... Uh, hitting uh, fly balls to the warning track, I would have gotten one. Um, but that was it. I mean, I remember facing him, and I remember it was like, I was like, man, this is cool. I get to face Roy Holiday. Um, but also, like, dang, like Frank was talking about, dang, it's tough because I have to face him, and he's going to make one mistake. Well, he obviously didn't make many mistakes to me, but he did throw me a first pitch uh, fastball that he left up, and – I was all over it, and I just skied it and hit it to to uh, deep center field, and then you know it was short, just short of the wall. Um, but that was it. Like that was my uh, one pitch. Like S- S- Shannon Stewart was talking about, right? You got one pitch and you couldn't miss it, and I got a, I got one pitch and I missed it, and that was it. And that was my highlight of of facing him. So obviously, I mean, this guy was a, a person. Like I said, I I was so just worried to even talk around him because he was that you know, much of a, of a figure. And then all of a sudden I'm facing him and it was fun. It was cool. It was a a fun experience and, you know, one that I'll never forget. And, you know, another person who I I got to face that I really enjoyed and is, is gone too soon. So, uh, sometimes it's, it's not fair, but it was, it was definitely fun to be able to, uh, be able to tell my kids like one day I, uh, I competed against this guy and I was around this guy because he was, he was pretty special. Okay, that concludes the second special episode of the off-season. We'll call it season 1.5 of Digging In with JPR and Sebia. We appreciate you guys all listening in, and we hope you continue to listen in. Subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, whatever is convenient for you. We will be there, and uh, we hopefully will be doing this again soon. <laughs>